work on that a little while. We'll get you going. 1 Corinthians 15. I told Brother Carpenter, I said, that song has to have the feel of mist up in the holler in the evening on it. Work to do right. It really does. You've got to be a whippoorwill somewhere out there. You've got to hear it. You don't know what a foxhound sounds like running a ridge. You've got to get that in you. You've got to get that in you. It's necessary. We'll get it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And after that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, He was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, He was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And uh, this evening, continuing in the Corinthian series, I want to talk to you about the subject of amazed at being an apostle. Amazed at being an apostle, the person that was writing this and giving what the Lord had given to him is the Apostle Paul. And I draw your attention again, verse 8, he says, And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And for I am the least of the apostles. And that amazing statement, that's not a statement of false humility, yet he was the apostle that God used to pen more books of the Bible than any other human. Moses did not write as much of the Bible as Paul did. David did not give the word to as much of the Bible. The words of Samuel did not cover as much. Any of the Old Testament prophets. Matthew, Mark, even Luke, who has the Gospel of Luke and Acts. John, who you have the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation, none of them match the volume of what was given to uh, Paul to put down as the Word of God. And he said, I'm the least of the apostles that am not meet. In other words, it, he says, it doesn't even seem fitting for me to be called an apostle. And he said, they're not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And so he was amazed at being an apostle. I tell you, the kind of Christian people I love meeting and I love fellowshipping with are people who never quite get over the fact that they're saved. They're just glad about it. Um, they, don't, they don't develop this God owes me something attitude in their life. They don't get this, well, the church just ought to be blessed that it has me type mindset though. <laughs> you, know, you ought to thank God that you have me. Um, the, they, they don't get into that nonsense. It doesn't get old with them. I'm not saying they're never tired. I'm not saying they never have down days. If you look for somebody like that, I, 
I suspect some kind of you know illegal intake or something. I just that's not normal for humans to be that way all the time. And uh, I only met one person who I never saw and not like that, and I knew he had his downtimes. That was Brother Stacy Meadows, now home with the Lord. And I'm not completely sure Stacy was. I don't know what was going on with Stacy. Right? You had to know him to appreciate that. But how far he'd come from, you know, we could handle a little going on with him. Um, but it, it's. Uh, but but they're glad that they're saved. They're excited about it. Uh, there's a humility to it. I just get to be in the house of God. It, it, it's just like the young man in Luke 15, after being so arrogant towards his dad, give me what comes to me, leaving and going and wasting his entire inheritance among the worldly uh, partying crowd. He came back to his father and he said, make me as a hired servant. He said, dad, I'm just glad. Just, I don't need a title. You don't have to call me son. Just let me be around. Just let me be. Let me be home. And uh, what a great thing that was. And and God, that was real. That was real stuff going on there. And of course, he got much more than he asked for, didn't he? Because of the goodness of his father. And so this thing, uh, this thing is amazed at being an apostle. Uh, I, I love it. And uh, some thoughts with it. The uh, uh, I want to show you something. Look in First Timothy. Don't lose your place there in Corinthians. But look in First Timothy chapter one. Before we get thoroughly into First Corinthians here. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. While you're turning there, I invite you to listen. Some of you have been. The third podcast has gone out in the God's Economy series. And uh, that, that published yesterday. And so three of those out there, if you want to hear them. 1 Timothy, look in verse, chapter 1. And let's look in verse 11. It says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Let's stop a moment and let that sink in what he was saying. He's talking about how great the gospel is and then he's being entrusted with it. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus, of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And that testimony was so good, what he ended with. Amen. Yeah, that's a good word to have in church, isn't it? And uh, so praise God for it. But he said, I thank God. He said that he has enabled me. And he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. He never got over the fact that God would love him and use him and uh, never grew past that. Uh, I loved old brother Eddie Bates. Didn't know him well one-on-one. -on -one. There was just a lot of age difference between us. Brother Eddie Bates, uh, hard to describe him. He just loved the Lord. And, and you kind of have to work with churches to understand this. Perhaps some of your involvement in will make you understand Consistently, his church around 200, 250, sometimes up to 300. 
He's a fellow I told you about. He'd get people up to a certain level and he'd say, why don't you go over to Brother Sears Church or go over to Brother Travis Hudson or one of them over there. He said, I've taught you as much as I can teach you and you're growing. Go there. They'll teach you more doctrine. Brother Eddie Bates learned to read on the Bible as, as an adult, really. He said only him and Jesus knew how he got a driver's license and he wasn't telling. <laughs> First time he ever tried driving a car, it was on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago. <laughs> he was an amazing fellow. He went in one time and the fellow was going to shoot his wife. Not Brother Eddie's wife, but his own wife. And he got a frantic call and he walked into that house, went into it, and the guy said, I'll kill you too, preacher. And he raised up the gun and Brother Eddie jammed his hand down. There was a revolver and the guy was clicking onto the, this part of his hand. He took the gun away from him with that. He, uh, he used to harass uh, when uh, my preacher, Brother Jeff Nichols, one of his converts, and and Brother Jeff was pastoring in the First Church of God. And of course, First Church of God believes that someone who is actually truly saved can be lost again. And uh, Brother Eddie had seen him on the street. And Brother Eddie had this real loud voice. He's, he's a country sort of fellow. And he'd say, hey, Jeff. And he'd say, well, Brother Bates. He said, you still saved? And he just, he just believed that the Bible was the Word of God. Did radio programs, reached people. By the way, started 18 churches. He'd just go into town, set up a tent, start preaching, bring people in, get it started, get somebody to come. And people ask me, I said, hey, just go in with the gospel. It's like, oh, yeah, everybody just does that all the time. And that's something. But he just never got over it. I remember the last time, hon, we got to hear him preach. He was actually over at Northside Chapel preaching. And he got so happy, he took off running while he was preaching. And he was ill, he wasn't real well, but he got happy. And he stopped. He says, I'm actually running. <laughs> he was amazed. But he just never got over it. And the Apostle Paul never got over what God did with him. He never got over the fact that he, he that he's used of God in some way. Uh, he said there that part of the reason that he was the least of the apostles, I'm back in our text in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 9, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. And by the way, anybody know what the name Paul means? Because his name didn't start out as Paul, did it? What did his name start out as? What, Saul, okay, you all know that. It was changed to Paul by God. God changed that. What does Paul mean? It means little. That's what the thing means. And so he says, I'm the least of the apostles. And when he learned to be little in his own sight, God used him. For I'm the least of the apostles that I'm not meant to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Some of those other apostles came from some pretty questionable backgrounds. But Paul said, I actually persecuted God's church. And in spirit and in actuality, persecuted Jesus by doing that. And he said, and now I'm an apostle. A representative of him. What an amazing thing that is. He persecuted the church. There were a couple places with that. You keep your place in Corinthians, but look in Acts chapter 7. Let me show you what he was talking about as far as persecuting God's church. It's important to know what God did. God used a mighty crooked pencil to write a mighty straight book. Look, if you will, towards the end of Acts chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 54 in just a minute. But in this, a fellow named Stephen preaches. It's an amazing chapter. By the way, that will be the longest single chapter in our reading in February. 60 verses. The next closest one will be one of 53 verses. And then all of them are less than that. In fact, we have one that I think is 8 or 9 verses. So anyway, it's not real lengthy readings. But Stephen preaches and through his preaching... He gives an overview of the history of Israel. 
And then while the Jewish people are listening to him and he has their attention as he's preaching, he shifts and he said he talks about the Messiah coming and he says, basically, he came and you executed him. You had him hanged on a cross. You testified against him. And he took that crowd, some of who had been there while Jesus was being crucified, and he told them, You're guilty of what, what you did, speaking against him. That was the Messiah. And some of those people were in that crowd crying out, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. And when he did that, the crowd turned on him. That's where we're picking this up now. Look in verse 54. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They were, they were under conviction, but they didn't repent. Instead, look what they did. They were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They just totally lost it as a crowd. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven. And you got a crowd like that to look at. You better believe heaven's the only place you could look. He kept his eyes on the Lord, didn't he? And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said, Behold, I see the heavens open. Can you imagine this? The people are screaming and ah, they're coming at him. And all of a sudden he says, Heaven's opening. He's totally distracted by glory. <laughs> and not this crowd coming at him here. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They're trying to drown him out. Stopped their ears, literally. Can you imagine how mad they were? And we misuse the word mad as if it's the word angry. But I'm using it in its proper context, which you'll see. We'll see that again in a little bit. Um, but he's mad. They become crazy, crazed with what they're doing. It says they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. What a violent, bloody way to die. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. The reason they were taking those outer cloaks and garments off was because the way they were killing him would be splattering blood every which direction. It's a very gory, horrible way. And so they went over, and here's this fellow Saul, who's not participating in throwing the stones. And that'll be the pattern that he does in things, not himself inflicting the abuse. Kind of trying to keep a distance between himself and what he was doing. And he, yes, had they laid their clothes there. And, and by the way, uh, Paul, you'll find later, says, I was consenting unto his death. He says, I wasn't an innocent bystander. He said, I gave my voice to it. I wanted it. I stirred him up towards it. He, he says that later on. Look what it says here though. And then the young man's feet, his name was Saul. But what about Stephen there dying this horrible death? Look what it says about him. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knew he was dying, so he called out to the Lord. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Very similar to what his master said when Christ was being crucified, wasn't it? Uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so uh, being full of the Holy Ghost, that same spirit, uh, uh, Stephen says a similar thing. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I know I've said it here before, but God's the only one who could take something as violent as a stoning and give his uh, loved one such peace in it that it would be like falling into a peaceful sleep. And so he did that there. Uh, that's what Saul, what Paul meant when he said, I persecuted the church. He had in his mind the image of the torn, battered, bloody body of Stephen. He knew what his face looked like when the, the Scripture says he almost looked like an angel. 
He had seen him looking into a realm beyond. My mom recounted the fact when her mother, my, uh, my mamma Myrtle Morris, when she passed away, she's, my mom was there at her, at her bedside. She said that, uh, they called her mommy, and she said, when mommy was there, and she said, those of us, the kids that were remaining had, had, were around the bed, and the ones that got to be there, some of them were in distant, distant places. She said she was looking past us. She said she wasn't seeing us. She said, oh, look, there's Poppy. That's that the name of my grandfather. I never got to meet him. And then she named some others, and she said, there's Poppy. He looks so beautiful. What was going on? She was seeing something. A veil pulled away. Amen. That's what Stephen did. He's, he said, you imagine this crowd's coming at you like this. You know they're going to kill you. Oh, look. Heaven open. <laughs> I love it. But Paul knew he was on the other side of that. Mm, something else in it. All right. Well, let's see what else he did. He, uh, he persecuted the saints. Look also in the book of Acts chapter 9. I think you can kind of get a foretaste how exciting the book of Acts will be. Acts chapter 9. Let's look how serious this is. The term we're going to read in a couple of verses here is the term breathing out. You say, okay, why is that used? It's the idea of this. When somebody gets so angry, their nostrils are flaring, their veins start distending. <sighs> you ever seen somebody like, <sighs> you know, it, it took, a, took them an extra 30 seconds to give them their McDonald's hamburger, <sighs> you know, that kind of thing. You accidentally cut them off in line. <sighs> Something like, you know, serious things in life that happen. Um, they, but you've seen somebody who's actually so enraged. That's the idea of this, this breathing out, this, this idea of this rage. Look at verse 1 of Acts 9. And Saul, you understand that's the Apostle Paul, before he was, his name was changed. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. And the high priest served as a civil authority also, not just religious authority. And desired of him letters, in other words, authorization there, to Damascus, which is a foreign city for them, to the synagogues, the Jews that are in this foreign city, that if he found any of this way, they didn't have a name. They're first called Christians at Antioch. That had not happened yet. So they called them different things, believers, Christians. And they said of this way, followers of Christ, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And by the way, some of them got executed when they got there. They had all kinds of different things happening. And he was going to a foreign and strange city to to catch these people, these Jewish people, and drag them back to Jerusalem because he was so much against uh, the teachings of Christ and what was going on. You can see with a deeper understanding, can't you, why in 1 Corinthians 15, when he goes from teaching in the first few verses there about the, the incredible power of the, of the resurrection and the power of the gospel, and then he talks about how he's, he's being made a custodian of that, and then he says... I'm, I'm, it's not me. It's not fit that I would even be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So how deep that thing is. He was amazed that he was an apostle. Sometimes you think about it. You say, well, I didn't do anything that terrible. I was raised up in church, lived a pretty good life. Did you ever think about how amazing that is? Did you ever think about how amazing it is if you did learn the Bible early that God 
had you where you could learn the Bible early? Did you ever think about if you were raised up in church, you said, well, I never went out in a bunch of wild stuff. Did you ever think of what a blessing that is? You ought to be amazed that God kept you. That ought not to any way, any way be less than testimony. Sometimes, sometimes it's almost irksome that people who have been out and into everything in the world will get so excited about the fact that they're saved and people who've been spared all that and don't have all the scars can't be excited about the fact that God kept them all the way. I tell you, it's an exciting thing. I'd rather have the testimony I never had to get off of it than I was on it and got off. Thank God. God's good to us. And so what happened? He persecuted the church. Let's give you this more in detail. Another, another passage in Acts. If we get done tonight, you won't have to read Acts. We've already been through it. Acts 26. Consider this a preview. I want you to listen purposely with careful interest to this because what's happening, Paul is being brought before authorities and he's been uh, charged by the Jewish people with various charges. And their purpose in this was not so much as to find him guilty in this Roman court, or this mixed court actually, but it was to get him sent back to Jerusalem. Because, unknown to Paul at the time, there was a plan, a conspiracy, that's the Bible word, that as he's traveling back to Jerusalem, they would kill him along the way. That's, that's the battle plan. And yet, it doesn't happen. And, and let's look in Acts 26. And uh, here, we'll have a, here we'll have some rulers and we'll have Agrippa and we'll have Festus here and, and, and a couple, couple things going on with it. I can't get this. Hold on, excuse me. Verse 26. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. So he's in a legal proceeding here. And people would call uh, orators, people who were eloquent, who could explain things well, who could persuade juries and, and their type of tribunal they would have. And they would ask them to speak, you know, just like people do lawyers, a trial lawyer, someone who can present things. And they would speak on their behalf. Tertullius had spoken against him. And now Paul didn't have legal counsel coming in with that, but Paul was a very, very learned man. He was trained in oratory. He, was, he knew multiple languages. He was a very educated man. And uh, so he's being allowed by King Agrippa to speak for himself. So he's going to testify about what's gone on. Now, he, his, uh, his freedom or incarceration hangs in the balance. Even his life hangs in the balance. But look what he uses the opportunity for. Look what happens with it. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. It doesn't mean stretch forth the hand. It's what I've done a dozen times up here tonight. You're a public speaker. You, body language involves uh, getting, getting the crowd to listen, different things. But so he's, it's, it's a common movement. He's, he's catching the people's attention. All right? He stretched forth thy hand and answered for himself. And he smarts the way he goes about it. Look at this. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things where I'm accused of the Jews. Now you have to understand something. Herod Agrippa came from the Herodians who, who tried to trace their ancestry back to Jews out of Babylon, but it was a faked history. And they had great influence over part of Judea, but part of what they made up about their history so they could be these great... Herod means heroic. So they could be these great heroes who had this long heritage. 
It was, it was false. They made it up. Can you imagine anybody doing that? Can you imagine somebody trying to get political position by making up? Never mind. Um, can't imagine that ever happening, can you? <laughs> That'd be something different, wouldn't it? Uh, probably somebody being an extremist. They'd probably be some kind of a, some kind of a crazy a conspiracy theorist if they thought people did that. Or it might be what they did clear back in Bible days. Um, and so anyway, Paul's talking to him along this line. Verse 3, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Which, by the way, Agrippa was. It was how he got power uh, to, to rule them. He knew everything about it. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. You know, he's smart. Before you talk to the jury, talk to the judge. Amen? Get this thing right. Verse 4, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect, Sect SECT is a religious group. And the straightest sect, he means we were the most conservative. We were the most strict. We were, we were the ones who, who were absolutely lived the, the, the straightest, cleanest lives. According to after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So that's what I was. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. I wish I had time to... Flame, but that's an incredible statement. Unto which promise, that's the promise that a Messiah would come, a deliverer would come. Unto which promise our 12 tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? You love this? You can speak for yourself. Right into, talk about the resurrection. He's got this whole crowded area. He's got a legal proceeding. Man, he's not going to miss this opportunity. Verse 9, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Wow. Wow. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Imagine that. I put pressure on them to, to speak evil against the name of Jesus. And being exceedingly mad, proper use of the word, enraged, crazy, against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Damascus being one of them. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, he said, what's that mean, commission? His way's being paid. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And we were, when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, isn't that amazing? Jesus spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue. This guy is just absolutely this rabid Pharisee. So the Lord talks to him in his language. Saul, Saul, why persecutest me, thou me? Excuse me. Is it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks? He says you can't forget what happened with Stephen. You can't forget about the people who were serene as you hauled them off. You can't forget about the families you've busted up. You can't forget about that you were enraged trying to destroy some people who show a peace that your religion can never give you. He said it's hard for you, isn't it, Paul? He said it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Verse fifteen. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? 
And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister mm. and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people, reference back to Israel, and from the Gentiles unto whom I send thee. <laughs> Lord takes this fellow who is so adamantly Jewish, nothing else matters, and he says, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. He becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. I love this. And from the power of Satan unto God. God would like to do that in your life. You've had enough darkness. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith, which is in me. Now look what he does. He turns us specifically to King Agrippa. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and to do works, meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that He should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as He thus spake for Himself, Festus, who is the fellow there with Him, another ruler, said with a loud voice. He's not supposed to interrupt. And, and, and Paul's given this testimony. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. He said, Paul, you've learned so much, you're nuts. Everybody knew Paul was an educated man. He was held in high regard for it. Paul, much learning doesn't make you mad. He said, you've lost it, Paul. What are you talking about all this stuff? Look how Paul handles it. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. <laughs> Crazy. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, look what happens there. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? He's, he's bringing it right in on him, isn't he? Yes, sir. I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, one of the saddest little phrases in the Bible, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. Almost is too far. Almost is completely lost. To be almost saved is to be completely lost. To almost be going to heaven is to completely be going to hell. Almost will echo through eternity as a testimony of damnation against the soul of one who would not decide for Christ. Almost thou persuadest me. Verse 29. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. He was a prisoner. He said, I wish everyone listened to me today would be like I am, persuaded of Christ. He said, I don't want you to have 
what I have and my stripes on my back and the marks of the beatings and the chains. He said, but I'd like you to have the Lord. When he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, so they go into quarters as it were, and talk between themselves saying, this man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa to Festus, this man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. As a uh, natural born Roman citizen, he could appeal to Caesar and he'd done that earlier. So he had to be taken to Rome and appear in Caesar's court. And God, of course, a lot of your Bible you have was written, came to you from when he was imprisoned in Rome. And when he was in Rome, he had like a house arrest. There was a place he had. People would come in and out, but he could no longer travel. And then eventually... He was executed there in Rome, martyred uh, for his faith. Uh, why, why was he amazed to be an apostle? Because he persecuted the church. Isn't that powerful? All that with it. It's important for Paul, I'm back in our text, 1 Corinthians 15. It was important to Paul not to waste the grace that was freely given to him by God. He didn't want to waste grace. I was listening to a testimony of somebody It was in a religious context of a testimony. They were talking about they were a two-time cancer survivor. They're still relatively young. I think, I think, and forgive me if I'm not exact on this, in their mid-30s or so, I put in mid to late 30s. You say, preach that's not young. It's going to which side that fence you're on. Um, <laughs> I'm seeing it as a distant thing in the rear view. Um, but they, they were talking about how their life had been. And it was a religious context. They weren't giving testimonies of Christian. I don't know if the person was or not. But they were just talking some different things they did. And they said this here. They, they made this statement. They said, you've survived cancer twice where both times you thought you'd die from it. You learn to appreciate and live fully every day. It would be a good way for us to live without going through that, wouldn't it? It would be good if we didn't waste grace. I talked to our neighbor and uh, Paul and I were talking and his wife, Mary Lou, uh, in, in the uh, assisted living problems and stuff going on. And they've done everything together. Married a long time. She's 85 years old. They built business together, traveled all over together, very close. And he said to me, it's a serious situation and, and that. And his daughter, when the day I was talking to him a couple weeks ago, his daughter, who I met on one occasion, I know his other daughter pretty well, but one daughter I just met once, had fallen, hit her face on a piece of furniture and broke a bone in her face. And different things. I said, my goodness, Paul. I said, ladies in your family, I'm telling you, he goes, they have. And I mentioned something and he said, well, pastor, he says, uh, he says, I'm telling you, he says, we've just got to take every day for the gift it is. And he just started talking to me about what that meant. I said, Paul, I said, I'm going to footnote you in my next sermon. I said, you're helping me preach. I said, I may bring you in. He goes, I'm not doing that. He said, but he goes, I'm telling you. He says, each day's a gift. He says, this is what happens. Life has its troubles. It has its hurts. There are sad days. He said, but every day is an amazing gift. And we got to take it as a gift from God. Amen. I think Christian people live a fuller life if we learn how to be by, blessed by so many different things, not just what comes at us narrowly. I'll let you chew on that. So what is this? God, he, he said, look, he said, I'm not going to waste the grace. Look at verse 10. 
He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Grace, that's God's unmerited favor being given. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yeah, not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I have this. He bestowed, I labored. Bestowing is freely giving. He said, since God freely gave me something, I used it and and used it for His work. (laughs) Grace which was bestowed. He fully acknowledged that God's conviction and mercy were both a gift. And then catch a statement. Catch a statement. He correctly deduced that using the gift of grace was the very best way to display true gratitude. Say, how can I show gratitude to God? Use what He's given you. Use the life He's given you. Don't waste it on sin and self and and destructive things. Use what God's given you. Use it for good. Use it for Him. Use it to edify. You say, I I want to be grateful to God. Be grateful with your voice. Be grateful with thanksgiving. Be grateful in song. But 10,000 times more, be grateful by using what God has given you. That's the ultimate way of showing gratitude. To use and to, 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 to say, God, You showed me grace. You know, I look at it. My dad died a very wicked, depraved man. I wasn't brought up under the sound of the Gospel. And though God was very gracious to me, and there's so many things I was spared in my young life, and I look back and I say, it's amazing. All the wickedness opportunities that were there. And God guided me around it and gave me blessing and grace around so many things that befell and, and, and were chosen by so many of my classmates. But yet I was lost in my pride and arrogance. And today, to know the Lord and be a preacher of His Gospel, and now for over 40 years to proclaim the Gospel of Christ, I go back sometimes when I'm over there, that little bit building still sits there where I accepted Christ in 1980. I look at the, the, that building and I was saved when I was baptized. I look there where I was called to preach on a Wednesday night service and I look at that and I say, thank God. I say, well, what do you want to do with that? I want to show gratitude by using what God's given me. You don't have to be called into the ministry. You don't have to be a preacher. Use what God's given you. He's given you today. Use it. Use it for God. Use it for God. And why? Because that shows gratitude. <laughs> and I thought to end with this verse, and I read it to you. Listen to this. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. That's it. That's it right there. That's the answer. Let me pray with you, alright? Father, thank You so much for the Word of God tonight. Thank You for Your people. Thank You for Your kindness and Your mercy. God, may we show our gratitude in living. I want to show my gratitude in living for You. And Lord, I think a lot of people here do. Help us, Lord, to be a people who follow You. In truth and in Your Spirit, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Why don't you come this evening? Give yourself in gratitude to the Lord. You say, I don't know what that means exactly. That's fine. Tell Him. I don't know what this means exactly, but you got me. Don't try to enumerate it and make a list for God. Just give Him yourself. Present yourself. And you'd be amazed what God will do. Have a song invitation. Why don't you join those who have come already this evening? Amen.